First of all, John did bring up confirmation for the Faith Baptist Homecoming. It is June the 4th, if you want to put that on your calendar, at 2 p.m. And as we previously stated, Brother Jim Hollingsworth will be uh, the guest speaker that day for their homecoming. And obviously, most of everyone knows here, that's where Tracy pastors uh, up on North Hickory Valley, north of Highway 58. Down, just down the road on Hickory, North Hickory Valley on the right there, Faith Baptist Church. <clears throat> oh, I said I was going to update on Ken. Of course, now Walt, uh, Walt and Jack aren't back. But As, we, as I said, said earlier, uh, Alan texted me about 518, according to this Verizon wireless iPhone. Uh says, I'm getting very short of breath, hoping to make it until Tuesday. Can you preach tomorrow? Which I've never told him. Nope, not going to do it. So. And then he, uh, he came back and said uh, that Ken had just texted him with this update. So Ken said, uh, another great day for the new adventures in Ar- Argentina. I guess is what he's calling the, uh, his trip down there. <laughs> adventures in Argentina. He went to eat at a house and found out this family was celebrating one of the the son's birthdays. He went not knowing if anyone spoke English. John's two sons came later. That was a surprise to each of us. These people have opened up to me, and they are all a great blessing. The bond of Christ is beautiful to see here. The father has a great testimony now that he is saved. He was a drunk before, or as we politically correct, or you said he had an alcohol dependency in our political correct world today. But he was a drunk before he got saved over 20 years ago. He's older now, but comes to my class. And he said, you would like him, meaning Alan would like him, tell everyone hi for me, and their prayers are being answered by God. He came back and said, yesterday was an amazing day. It was long for sure. He started devotions were at 6.30, and he rested some after that, knowing what was ahead. He went out for lunch at Pablo's parents' house, got back a little later uh, to the class because it was an exam day. I'm sure the students were all looking forward to that. Students were a little late. <laughs> they lectured some, and then they gave the test. All seemed to do well. He took another rest and prepared for a class at 7.30. Then a family invited him to dinner after class, and that was about 10 p.m. Pablo and I were taken there. He had chicken and potato mixed in one pot. He said, that was new for me here, but it tasted great. Then they, meet, then they gave the meat from the grill. I guess that's how they do it in Argentina. <clears throat> What a feast we had. Bread is always a staple with the meals. It's like an Italian bread. And we talked and shared pictures. Then at about 12.30, we started discussing Matthew 22, 24, and 25. And the rich man, you know. And what an amazing night. The Lord and his word and Pablo and I didn't leave until 2.15 a.m. This trip trip keeps getting more and more amazing each day. Pablo and I are developing a close bond. We have had some serious discussions. John boys have also John's boys have also been great. 
Some of the people have asked if we could come and live here. Oh, Nancy's not in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the language is a problem in a way, but God has worked in that also. What can I say? My heart is already full, and I have another week still ahead of me. So that's an update from Ken and his adventures in Argentina. So, As I said, the scripture reading will be in Second uh, Peter, for the most part. If you want to turn to Second Peter. And obviously this is what weekend? Memorial Day weekend. So uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day. That's another little, one of my pet peeves because oftentimes, obviously I appreciate all of our veterans, but uh, as my former co-teacher Mark's a veteran, uh, how many veterans do we actually have in here? Mark's a veteran, anybody else a veteran? Well, I know Alan was a veteran, but uh, I mean, I know Don, both Dons were both in the service. I had two older brothers who were in the service. My dad couldn't serve because he'd got tuberculosis shortly after he got out of high school and actually had to spend some time in, what they call him back then, a sanatorium. And so he was rejected for service in World War II, so all my uncles and all went off to war, and mom and dad and all moved in with my grand, grandma and them, and they, you know, Sent you back home. Yeah, dad was rejected because, and then one of my older brothers that was in between the two that served in the Air Force got rejected because they said he was too bow-legged. You know, I have a small bow in my legs, but two of my brothers, Dan and Dave, are, are bow-legged. I mean, bow-legged. <laughs> but so, he got rejected for that, but Roland and Tommy both served in the Air Force. So, but Veterans Day is when? That's on 11-11, November the 11th. Tomorrow is Memorial Day, which we're actually recognizing or remembering those who gave the ultimate sacrifice by losing their life in service to this country. Uh, that's what Memorial Day is about. And uh, we're here to worship, as Jerry always says when he gets up, to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave the ultimate sacrifice by dying for all of mankind. So, but tomorrow is Memorial Day, and we remember those who, who sacrificed and gave their lives in the service of our country. And remember after 9-11, it was all the uh, signs out, you know, the little banners and stuff, 9-11, we'll never forget. So we're going to talk about in Second Peter, how he, his second letter, he mentions a couple of times, if we go to uh, verse 12, we talk about remembering. Always remember. Never forget. Like I said, as we said after 9-11, we'll never forget. Even though in most of the schools today, they don't even teach all the proper history anymore in uh, public schools. They just leave. They, change, they try to change our history, basically, in most of the public schools. But... Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 12. Therefore, this is Peter obviously, 
Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, after he's deceased, you will still be able to call these things to mind. For we do not follow cleverly devised tables. We don't go on tales. And then he also says that again, if you turn to chapter 3, verse 1, Peter says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So this was important enough to Peter that he said he was going to keep on reminding them, keep on reminding them, keep on reminding them so that they would always remember and never forget what he's talking about here in Second Peter and what he's talked about the whole time with these people. So back to verse 1, we talk about remembering and never forgetting. And we'll read it again. We had it in our scripture reading, but verse 1 and 2, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Of course, you see in, uh, in the structure of the Greek text, it would be better read uh, there in verse 1 and 2, where it says... Uh, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, might be better read, by the righteousness of our God, who is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the same thing in verse 2, it could be, uh, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, who is Jesus our Lord. They put the and in there as a conjunction between the two, but really it's uh, who, comma, is our uh, Savior Jesus Christ. And then you see peace mentioned in chapter 2, and peace or any other thing is always preceded by God's grace, as you can see in chapter 2. So any thought of peace in chapter 2 has to be preceded by the grace of God. So you have grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And you'll see in verse 2, verse 3, and verse 8, you see the word knowledge. See knowledge in verse 2, we just read that. And then in verse 3, you see 
through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. In verse 8, you see, for if these qualities are yours and are increased, and they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the Greek word epinosis, which the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, if you're going to transliterate it into English. But in these three verses, it's epinosis, which has the prefixed epi, which intensifies the word and has the idea of a more mature knowledge of the subject that's at hand here in, the, in, this, in this book. So you see they've, uh, in verse 2, it says, be Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the mature knowledge, epinosis of God, who is Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, it says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true mature knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And in verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true mature knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the knowledge that's been accumulated over time in this study of what they should be always remembering. And in this context here, we're going to go back and look at verses uh, 5 through 7. And it gives you seven, seven characteristics of that should be seven things that should be in every Christian's life, but are waning in certain areas in all of our lives, I'm sure. But uh, we'll read verse four first. So after verse, the first three verses and the mentioning of uh, the. Mature knowledge in verse 2 and verse 3, it says, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now verse 5 through 7 of seven things. Seven attributes. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, supply uh, uh, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So you see, faith is mentioned first, and it's really separate from these seven attributes here, but they're all inseparably connected back to faith. And that has to be because, as you know, uh, and and also faith in the verse 5 there is articular. You know, when it says your faith, it's literally the faith of you. Just the translators didn't think that the literal Greek read real well. And they often, as we've said before, Alan, Mark, Jerry, and his teachings, or whatever, they often leave out the definite articles in their translation. But the faith and all these seven characteristics or attributes that we're supposed to have are all articular in these verses. So it's the faith, and it's separated out, mentioned first, 
But all these other following seven attributes are connected to faith, and it has to be that way. What's Hebrew eleven six say? And turn there real quick. It's just a few pages over. Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. We've been gone over that verse a little bit. Jerry was in Hebrews and and his uh, Sunday school teachings. But see, all these seven characteristics or attributes have to be inseparably connected to faith, and faith is what starts it all. Right there in Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, remember what's the other verse? Whatever is without without whatever's done and not in faith is sin. But Hebrews eleven six, but without faith it's impossible to please him. So he starts with faith, and like I said, it's articular in verse 5. And then he says we've got to add all these other things to it. He says, now this, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, and he uses that term a lot in Second Peter, being diligent. In the faith of you... <laughs> Supply the moral excellence. And I think in the KJV it says virtue, does it not? Moral excellence in the Greek, it's a a rete. I don't know. Once again, don't judge me on my Greek pronunciation. And that has to do with your moral behavior. In other words, every virtue of righteousness being exhibited in your life, in one's life. It's talking about moral behavior. The Greek word. And he says, after moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, supply or abound in the knowledge, in verse 5. You say, well, you didn't include that in the previous. That's because this is the Greek word gnosis, not epinosis, as it was in 2, 3, and verse 8. This is gnosis. And this text is referencing an accumulation of knowledge, obviously, because it says if, and later on, if these are yours and abounding. So this text is referencing an accumulation of knowledge over time, which builds into and results in an epinosis or a mature knowledge. So in this verse, he doesn't use epinosis, he uses gnosis. In verse 6, and in your knowledge, self-control. And I think KGV says temperance. Self-control. And once again, the Greek word for self-control is egrete. And you don't know how it spells. So you know if I'm butchering or not. You don't know that. But anyway. But that self-control or temperance has to do with exercising control over oneself. One's actions in all aspects of your daily life. Your you're exercising control over oneself. You know, self-control or temperance, as the KJV says. Next it says, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance. 
Does KJV say patience? But perseverance, which is the Greek hupomone. That has to do with patient endurance. Patient endurance in all things that life brings our way, including sufferings, etc. Right? Because if we're going to choose the way, right, we're going to have suffering. Remember, Alan's been talking about, Jerry's been talking about in Sunday school lessons. So if we're going to choose the way, we're going to have sufferings. But this is showing patient endurance in all things that life brings your way, including the sufferings and other things. Patient endurance, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. Godliness. I just get my notes all. Yeah, I did. Godliness. Or the godliness. Remember, these are all articular, including faith that started it all. That's the Greek word eusebia. And that's just exhibiting a godly manner of your day-by-day living. Day-by-day. What's the old hymn? Day-by-day. And with each passing moment. I memorized that because that's the only song my wife and I ever did a duet in special in church. I think it was on a Wednesday night in 1981 or something at Grace Baptist. And uh, we sang that as a duet day by day. But godliness, the godliness, it's the godly manner of your day by day living. And he goes on, and in your godliness, verse 7, brotherly kindness. And what does everybody think the Greek term for brotherly kindness is? Anybody? Brotherly love. Philadelphia. Everybody knows that, right? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, they call themselves the city of brotherly love. So if you've ever gone to a Braves game when they were in Philadelphia in their stadium, you don't get shown a whole lot of brotherly love if you're wearing Braves attire in their stadium. But anyway, uh, Philadelphia is the Greek word for brotherly love, brotherly kindness. It's a compound word. Uh, Adelphos is the brother, and then philos, or the Greek, I mean the verb form phileo. So you put them together and you have the city of brotherly love, which always doesn't act true to their name or their city. And then it says in brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Add love. And that's the Greek word agape, which we all are pretty familiar with. There's two words in the Greek that are used in the New Testament. We just said the one, right? Brotherly kindness. Philos, or its verb form phileo. And then there's agape, or its verb form agapao. And they're sometimes used interchangeably in the New Testament. Like uh, the father's love for his son is referred to in both forms. We can turn to the book of John real quickly. 
John chapter 3, verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And then in 520, he uses the other Greek word for that. Chapter 5, verse 20, he says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. So sometimes in that respect, they're used interchangeably, for the, you know, as we just stated. But agapao is the only form which man is commanded to exercise towards God the Father. Because agapao, in comparison, is always the greater form of the love. And it is the only form which man, as we just stated, is commanded to exercise towards God the Father. Turn to Matthew 23, I'm sorry, 22, verse 37. So agape is the highest form of love. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You shall agape the Lord with your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Turn to Luke 10, 27. Ten twenty-seven, same verse, but Luke's rendering it. And he's answered, "You shall agape the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, with and your neighbor as yourself." Remember, Luke added that at the end of the. And then First Corinthians eight three. First Corinthians eight three. But if anyone agapes God, he is known by him. 1 Corinthians 8, 3. If anyone agapes God, he is known by him. So those two words, but agape, the higher form, and it is the only form that's used when it's talking about our, the type of love that we're supposed to have towards God the Father. Agape love. So you see there's seven, back to Second Peter, there's seven characteristics listed there or attributes that we're supposed to be exhibiting. They're all connected inseparably to the faith at the beginning. And remember, then you go to verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, or does the KJV say abound in there? What tense do you think that's in, in the Greek? Since Jerry and some others, we've been talking about tenses. It's present tense. Which shows continuous action, present tense. So it's not like a one-time thing. You can do it one day, <laughs> not do it the next. You can do it, even though we're all going to, but we're all supposed to be 
trying to attain to that mature knowledge, that epinosis. So it says, if these are yours, and they are increasing day by day, they are abounding, as the KJV says. And that's a continuous action, present tense. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true epinosis, mature knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So basically, if you're doing these previous things that we show, and you're you know, doing those on a day-by-day basis, and you're attaining to a mature knowledge, you're accumulating knowledge, a knowledge of what? Knowledge of the subject that's at hand here, which the faith, it's, not, it's articular, remember, it's not talking about just general faith, it's talking about a specific faith in what is to come what is being taught here. Because go on down, read down to, what does verse 11 say? The outcome of this is, for in this way the entrance into the age-lasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Right? So it's that looking ahead to that future opportunity that's a afforded to all of us to rule and reign with Jesus Christ in his coming kingdom. So the faith is talking about a specific faith that has to do with the word of the kingdom. Right? And attaining to this is what's mentioned here. Go back to verse 9. So see, if you're doing these on a day-by-day basis and accumulating knowledge of the Word of God, obviously, that's where you find this, get this knowledge of the Word of God, it says this will be the outcome, verse 8, you won't be useless or unfruitful. But verse 9 says, is the negative side of that, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. He's blind or short-sighted. Blind or short-sighted. In other words, he, he can't, his sight no longer, he can't see out there what's ahead. He's blind to it. Now, once again, this is talking to who? It's talking about who? Believers here. Remember? It says he forgot the former purification from his sins. So it's not talking about an unbeliever here. It's talking about a believer who forgot. He didn't remember. He didn't, he didn't take Peter's... Injunction to never forget and always remember these things. He's forgotten his purification from his former sins, so now he's short-sighted and he doesn't see what lies out ahead of him. He doesn't see it. He's blind to it. Verse 10, the positive side, though. 
Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. And there's that term again. I think we all understand what diligence means, even in the Greek. Remember uh, Jude, the companion book of Second Peter? What did Jude say he wanted his, the, his readers to do? Remember in the first part of Jude? Bob was in Jude. You can turn right over to Jude because it's uh, just a few pages over after 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Jude, chapter, uh, verse 1. There is only one chapter. Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was... Part- Making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, that salvation that we all have once we've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He said, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly, strive for the faith, the faith. And they did leave the article in the NASB. I don't know if they left it in the... KJG, but the faith is articular there in that verse. So Jude says, I'm writing to you to appeal that you contend earnestly, agonize over, really, strive for the the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Peter asked us to be diligent. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And calling and choosing are really from the same Greek word. It's just the second second, uh, second calling, what they say, choosing in, uh, in the NASB has the preposition ek in front of it, which means out of. And that's why it uses the term in the NASB, choosing. And I think in the KJV, does it say election, calling an election, or in other, other forms, or other translations. But calling and those two Greek words are the, basically the same, as I stated, but it's actually calling, being calling, you're called, and then you're called out of the called. Remember the out-resurrection that Paul talks about too? And the Greek term there means to stand up out of those that were here. It's the same Greek word, but it's ek is in front of the second one. And you're called out of the called. Every believer has a calling, right? But some of them don't attain to their calling. Some of them shall fall short. Some of us may fall short of our calling. Right, But he's saying, be diligent to make certain about being called out of the called. For as long as you practice these things, these things he just mentioned in the previous verses, you will never stumble. Verse 11, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Entrance into the age lasting, I change it once again as a form of the verb ionios, 
meaning an age or age-lasting kingdom, that kingdom to come of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And therefore, we get to the verses that we read earlier where he says he wants to continue to remind them of these things so that they would always remember. Even remember, he says, after verse 15, after he's gone on, after he's deceased, it says, and I will also be diligent, there's that word again, (laughs) that at any time after my departure, after his death, you will still be able to call these things to mind. Remember them. Never forget. Verse 16. We won't get through all of Second Peter, obviously, today. Don't worry. The roast won't burn. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What is he talking about there? Who's the we in that verse? Peter and James and John. And what what incidents was he saying? talking about here. The Mount of Transfiguration. I saw Jack mouth that. Remember when the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, Jesus took him with him, and he was transfigured before them on the holy mountain. They got to see him coming in his glory. And it changed Peter's life. Right? And that where it says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales. That's why if you miss Bob's Sunday school lesson, he's talking about taking the revelation literally. And I'm a bit of a literalist as myself, my wife. Not just in scripture stuff, but she says I always take everything literally. So, But... Uh, <clears throat> When you get with those uh, false teachers, as we see, what we may not get to in chapter 2. <laughs> I include those people, you know, they start taking an uh, allegorical approach to Scripture. You know what I'm saying? Like I even have a brother who's gone to seminary and done all that and does a bunch of study and reads the book. Thinks he understands the truest form of Calvinism. And all that, but he doesn't take the days in Genesis anymore as literal twenty-four hour days. And he's told me he thinks Adam could have may have been the most the smartest man that ever lived because he might have lived for thousands of years or whatever. And he just doesn't take. But see, when you get take away the literalness of Scripture, then you start following cunningly devised tales. That men have made up, right? And that's where you get into the umpteen different denominations that we have in the society today, right? Not just the you know Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Church of God, but you got primitive Baptists, you got 
full gospel Baptists. You got, you know, you got all these, because men get involved and they distort stuff. They take things out of context and they don't follow the littleness of scripture. And then they start making stuff up. You know, and then they get a bunch of people to follow them. Right? What pastors taught about a couple of uh, messages ago, remember that we're supposed to be one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? There's supposed to be unity in the faith. But you see, because of the leaven that the woman put in that measure of meal, Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, which happened way back earlier in this dispensation, Right? And what's leaven? Obviously, it makes the bread rise, but it's a corrupting agent. And this is the what? Bread of life. So she introduced a leaven, a corrupting agent, early in the dispensation into the teachings of the word of the kingdom in Scripture. So you can go to any church today and you don't get that teaching, right? You won't hear it. So to apostatize, as we talk about 2 Peter and Jude talking about apostates, to truly apostatize, you don't really see that happening in today's church because there's so few people that even know the word of the kingdom, right? And to apostatize from the Greek word, you have to stand away from something, a belief that you previously held. Well, most people don't even have an understanding of the word of the kingdom. So they can't stand away from it or apostatize from it. But these people did, right? That's what Second Peter, Peter was warning them about. Remember the negative side, verse 9? They forgot. They didn't always remember his teaching. And that's why he said he was going to be diligent to keep reminding them, reminding them, reminding them. Remember Hebrews 10, 35, or it says, we say it before, most churches or pastors use that to make sure people come into, but don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and then at the end of the verse it says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we don't want to forsake getting together as this like-minded body of believers and encouraging one another, reminding one another, don't forget. Don't forget our calling. Always remember, don't forget, be diligent in our daily walk. Because if those seven characteristics or attributes are yours and are increasing, present tense, on a daily basis, you just keep going after it. You keep fighting the fight. You keep striving, as Jude said. I think the Greek term is really that's translated that is like agonetsomai, and it's an intensive term where we transliterate the English word agonize from it. He was saying, I want to talk to you about striving for, agonizing for the faith. 
And then it says in verse 11, we won't continue on to chapter 2 and 3. Jump back to 10 again, we'll read it. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, being called out of the called. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And in this way, the entrance into the age-lasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So on this Memorial Day weekend, when we're remembering those men and women who paid the sacrifice of their lives, their physical lives in defense of our country, let's also remember the opportunity, the calling that is set before each one of us and never forget, as Peter is saying here, to strive with every muscle or fiber of our being to attain to that out-resurrection, to being called out of the cold, to gaining our inheritance, as Jerry's been taught about in his Sunday school lessons. And never forget, always remember, And do it day by day. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come here and open your word and study your word. And we pray that uh, you would be with our pastor, touch his body. I pray that he would get to have this procedure soon and that you would uh, heal him of his cancer. I pray that we would always remember to... Follow your word, follow your calling, and have eyes to see and ears to hear. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.